Thank you for joining me for this episode of People Know Stuff. If you know stuff, I'd like you to be a guest on my program. Please visit my website and drop me a line. Hi, this is Deborah Butler, and thanks for joining me for my show, People Know Stuff. And today I'm very excited to have Chad Hartnell with me, and he knows stuff about research. Chad is a professor at Georgia State University, and the focus of his research is leadership. But I've asked Chad to talk to us about the stuff he knows about why research matters. So Chad, a lot of research is done at universities. A lot of research is done in research-driven organizations. And, you know, I don't know if people really understand why it matters. So as a person who spends a lot of your life conducting research and teaching how to do research um, effectively. And there's a lot of controversy around that too. Um, What constitutes effective and accurate research. But as someone who really is um, very much in the business of research, tell us why does research matter? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me today. It's It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for the question as well. Research is something that uh, that I got a an early seat to observe. As my dad was a has a PhD in animal science, and so he's his mind thinks in terms of the scientific method. And I've I've benefited from that in science fairs in in elementary school and middle school. But little did I know that I would be seeking a career that that really pursues research in more of a social domain than a strictly scientific domain. Um, But there's a lot of science even to the understanding the social experience of things as well. A lot. And by the way, did you win most of your science fairs? Um, I either got second place, first place. And and my last year I got the grand prize and I had very, I I didn't really put it together until several several years afterwards that uh, yeah, it's, my research design was so solid because the person that was guiding me is a, <laughs> does the research method. Yeah, you had a definite leg up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, um, so why does research matter? It's a great question, um, and I think there are there are two simple reasons why it matters. And one is it helps us understand the human experience, and it helps us adopt a systematic approach to understanding what exists. So the link between our experience and what exists is um, is what's real. So for let's start with what exists because it's a little bit more concrete. Yeah. Um, what exists is um, we're, we're always in a state of discovery. So for instance, there was a there was a report a few weeks ago about um, about being able to to dive to new depths in the ocean and discovering that there are an untold number of, of um, fish that have not been categorized or even identified. Right. And so, um, and so we're in this continual state of discovery. Ever since the beginning of time, it's been discovery. If it's naming animals or discovering new animals or um, different animals that breed together that, gener- that generate new species, it's um, research is always about categorizing and understanding similarities and differences between things, how things work, and their implications for our human experience. On the psychology side of things, 
And on the social side of things, like with leadership and organizational culture, it's what do we experience in organizations? What do we experience socially? What do we experience relationally? Why is it that we experience those things? And what is the impact on how we relate with others, on our overall well-being? And so the common thread is really discovery. It's discovering new things that exist or new experiences and their implications for how we relate with others and our own well-being. Yeah, and even discovering more about what we know exists and being able to better understand it. Um, I guess a lot of research is done on behalf of you know, being able to understand it, like you say, and being able to predict it and being able to manage it. Yeah, think about the power there is in understanding something. So for instance, um, understanding your emotions in a particular situation, if it's emotional intelligence. Have you ever experienced something where you were feeling something, but you couldn't quite put your finger on what it was that you were experiencing or why you were experiencing it? Yeah. So what were the drivers for that? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so when you experience things that you have no vocabulary to understand what you're experiencing or why you're experiencing it, it can almost feel imprisoning. And so when you understand things and understand how they work, then you can better categorize them and put them into buckets. So for instance, if you see an animal, should you be afraid of every animal that you see? Well, that requires knowledge, that requires research and understanding of their tendencies, of their habits. For instance, I have a golden retriever. If my golden retriever gets loose and charges towards somebody, are they going to be afraid for their lives? Probably not. Yeah, probably not because it's a golden retriever. That's right. If you had a coyote, they probably would be. Um, right. Or a, or a pit bull, it would, it would raise a whole lot of other questions yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of what we know about the temperaments of different animals. Well, and, you know, the truth is, as we're talking, I'm realizing we're all doing research all the time. Um, you could say the human experience is kind of driven by individual research. And, you know, what happens is an individual in their quote unquote research um, makes discoveries and decides, oh, well, this I got it. Now I know. But how does that differ from the type of research you do or that your dad does or that, you know, we think of when we think of scientific systematic research? Yeah, that's a great question, because I agree with you that that everybody does research. The problem with with just relying on your intuition to do research or your or your natural experience doing research is that we're prone to cognitive biases. And Daniel Kahneman talks about this a lot. Um, if we if we just rely on our intuition or our own experience to do research, then what happens is what we've observed with Facebook and Twitter, people will gravitate towards other people that have opinions like them, something called con- confirmation bias, and then become overly certain about a position that may not even be accurate. And so, so, um, so what you're saying is your own direct experience you may share, and it may be, especially if it's something like my direct experience is that this population is always horrible. Um, you know, we could certainly go to something very immediate. All Democrats are awful or all Republicans are awful. (laughs) I know because I've had direct experience with it. And then, you know, if you think that you'll, you'll, um, agree that somebody else's conclusions with somebody else's conclusions, but what is systematic? research do by way of contrast? So systematic research gives you a, um, a, 
a systematic way to overcome cognitive biases. And it's one that's based in humility. And the reason why I say humility is because research leaves open the possibility that you could be wrong. And so a systematic approach to research starts with a guess as to how things work. And then you test it. Does it actually work this way? When you test it, you're open to the possibility that it may, it might not work the way that you think it will. And so the value in a systematic approach to research is the openness to be wrong, the openness to discover new things, and the openness to um, to realize things things may work in a way that's radically different from what you thought how they actually worked. So systematic research gives you a, a series of steps to start with a thought, to evaluate it, and then to look at the data to say, does it line up with what I thought? Or does it introduce something that I need to learn from and then to revise? Well, what if it does line up? You know, I did have that experience. What if it does line up, but it doesn't always line up? So that's where we get into nuance and uh, and understanding for whom does it line up? When does it line up? The types of conditions uh, around people's experiences uh, now, the, the danger with just relying on experience is that there's a difference between what's real and what's reality. Sometimes those two line up and sometimes they don't. An individual's experience is always very real to them, but is what's real to them characteristic of reality? For instance, there, there are a, a certain percentage of the population is deathly afraid of spiders, but what percentage of spiders could actually kill you? A very small percentage. So if somebody who's deathly afraid of spiders encounters a spider in a room, their experience is going to be my life is in danger. That's real. Is it reality? Sometimes the two don't always line up. And I guess, you know, the thing we have to talk about here is reality as it relates to probabilities. I mean, to go to your spider example, what, you know, what are the probabilities that that spider will be poisonous given the conditions of where you are, maybe what time of year it is, or... Right, exactly right. You're exactly right. So that's the role of, that's really the role of cognition alongside emotion. So emotions are always real. They're they're very real to the people that experience them. But then the role of cognition is to evaluate, is what I'm experiencing is real? Does that line up with reality? Well, is, it, is it a legitimate threat right now? Yeah. And I'm thinking about how systematic research can tell us, you know, like it may be real. It may line up with reality. Um, but what are the probabilities that it will always, you know, be that way? Or that's what are the probabilities that it will be that way everywhere? Or what are the probabilities that it will um, you know, that I can plan for this because it's going to be true for other people. Right. Now, that's where the, the difference between the hard sciences and the social sciences comes in. In the hard sciences, we have, we can predict with much more certainty what's going to happen. If you, if you throw an apple outside, what's going to happen to it? Is it going to float in the air? Is it going to rise to the sky or is it going to hit the ground? It's going to hit the ground because of the law of gravity. And so you can predict with relative certainty that the apple is going to hit the ground when you throw it outside. What, how well can you predict um, what somebody's going to do in a particular situation? You can predict that with a lot less clarity because people have free will. 
And so although we can understand what people's tendencies are going to be in certain situations, very rarely can we predict with absolute certainty what somebody's going to do in a particular situation. Yeah. And, you know, um, I guess here's where we all we get into tricky areas when we start talking about systematic research with people because they're very complicated and with conditions that are complicated, like weather and what's causing it. And, you know, what happens is people get really cynical about research and um, speak to that because, you know, there's kind of a loss of faith in research even. Yeah. So, um, so one of the phrases that got popularized during the COVID pandemic is follow the science. And that became even a politicized phrase, follow the science. What does it mean to follow the science? And so when you look, when you ask scientists about um, following the science, they're looking at um, what is published, what is peer reviewed, and then what is peer reviewed in top quality outlets. In other words, what has undergone the highest level of scrutiny in order to get published. So what the what the media tends to do is they tend to, to look for studies that confirms a story that they want to that they want to share, regardless of where that's published. So so what I've found is that there tends to be a lack of curiosity among the media in particular to scrutinize what is the level of scrutiny that this research has actually undergone and how much does this one finding really comport with the pattern of findings that we find in research. So following the science is not cherry picking one study and drawing all sorts of conclusions on one study. It's looking at one study in light of all the other studies, what's consistent, what's inconsistent, and what questions do we need to ask? The other thing is, is that people have the mistaken assumption that that science is settled. And that in fact, when it comes to new discoveries, to novel things, especially to the social sciences, very few things are settled. We have we have a um, we have certain insights, but oftentimes science raises more questions. Answering one question leads to three or four other questions, and so we um, people look to science for certainty. When in reality, science gives us guidance, but not absolute answer. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to the first two things that you said: why research matters. It helps us to understand our human experience, which is very dynamic. And, um, you know, it isn't like we, we know it and now that's it. Close the book. Because like you said, the second thing is it helps us to systematically understand what exists. And, you know, what exists is a ever-expanding body of knowledge about the infinite experience of uh, life on earth. Um, And yeah, I think like one of the most important things for us to take away from our conversation is that research is a dynamic process. We're all doing it and keep doing it with an open mind because it's always changing. Yeah. And I think it, I think every person should ask themselves two questions. What do I think I know? And how certain am I about the things that I think I know? And simply put, research helps us become more certain to generate more certainty, whether that's from um, 10% to to 15% or from 75% to 80%. Systematic research helps us become more certain about what we think we know. But at the end of the day, the um, things change. 
Yeah. And I think that's at the very end, you're saying, you know, how certain am I? I think people want things to be black and white, but systematic research says, well, you know, we've got a range of certainty and outside of that range, we can't declare it. So, but people, you know, maybe that's where they don't like that. They want it to be yes or no, but the, the nuancing, as you say, of research is that the best we can hope for is a pretty good, strong range of certainty. Yeah, and there and, will be exceptions. Right. Think about the the mandatory lockdowns during COVID and then social distancing. The The fundamental question that people were asking is, is it safe to interact with other people? And at the end of the day, it's always been a calculated risk. What is the risk? And so um, what we found coming out of COVID is that I have I have young kids and and this last year, they got sick all year long. And what the doctors had said is, well, they didn't get sick while they were socially distanced because normally that it transmits between people. And just because people socially distanced didn't mean that the diseases just went away. They were still there. And so now when we return to normal, then um, their immune systems were catching up from, from what normally happens. So you're right in that people are looking for a black and white. Is it safe? Is it not safe? These kind of bivariate categories. But in reality, life is all about calculated risk. Yeah. And it's all about um, nuancing and, yeah. and being open. And research helps you continue to build. And it's, it you know, in a systematic academic setting, it builds from a place of, as you say, humility. Um, it isn't about right and wrong. It's about more discovery. Um, That's right transparency and in, in the method that you're approaching to understand to define what is what is real in this situation um, and leaving that open to scrutiny and inviting other people's questions because the more questions that you invite from other people the more confidence you can get at that the the conclusion that you arrive at is going to be a better approximation but being open to the fact that future research might might move you in another direction um well, Chad, thank you so much for um, extending your own knowledge to this topic. And uh, I appreciate you being here for People Know Stuff. Well, thank you. Really appreciated the opportunity. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of People Know Stuff. If you know stuff, I'd like you to be a guest on my program. Please visit my website and drop me a line.